This is a Culture Inject production. The Nevers Podcast presents Firefly Back in the Skies. Listeners, and welcome back to our retrospective series, Firefly Back in the Skies. I'm Laura. And I'm Tyg. And this week we are watching Heart of Gold. A companion trained friend of Inara's who runs a brothel on a remote planet calls to help from Serenity when a local reveals his intent to take the baby from a woman he's impregnated. This episode first aired on August 4th, 2003. Stars all the usual people, plus Melinda Clark as Nandy. This episode was written by Brett Matthews and directed by Thomas J. Wright. Don't actually know either of those two, but they did a good job, so can't hold against them. Starting off for this episode, we open at a ranch-like brothel in the middle of a barren land with uh, Rance Burgess, accompanied by thugs on horseback. Uh, approaches the madam, Nandy, looking for the girl. Despite Nandy's protests that the girl had left, the thugs drag Petaline, a nine-month pregnant young woman, out to face him. He forcefully extracts a DNA sample from her to verify if the child is his, threatening to cut it out of her if need be. When the men leave, a group of women crowd around Petaline and Nandy, wondering who could protect the distraught mother-to-be from the ruthless tyrant. It's a good opening. I like this one. It really it sets the story in like about two seconds. It's very, very well set up. Yeah, it, it, it's a nice opening. And it's like this instant way for like, hey, this guy's a dick. We don't like him. Very much that too. Yeah, like we're really... on, I was like, we're on their side. You know, we don't know these people, but we're on their side. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I swear they go out of their way to make that kind of DNA test syringe thing he uses look as ridiculous and massive and monstrous as possible. <laughs> like really, for a DNA test, it's like you want like a swab inside the mouth or maybe a small injection. He pulls out this like Frankenstein looking thing that's the size of my freaking forearm and like stabs <laughs> it right into her. They really like, like they want to establish from the get go this dude is a tool. We do not yep. like him. Mission successful. And we get into our next cut. We get the uh, the question of you know who'd help us? You know <laughs> who'd help who'd help us? And then it cuts <laughs> straight to Mal Reynolds, the hero yeah. of the hour, practicing his gun draw and his uh <clears throat> his war cries when Anara enters from behind and startles him with her greeting. Walsh arrives a short time after to announce a distressed call, specifically asking for Anara. On board a shuttle, Anara talks to Nandi, an old friend, on a vid screen and offers to ask the Serenity crew to help. Mal muses about a whole house full of companions overhearing the conversation, but Anara corrects him, reluctantly calling them whores. Mal seems bemused that they, unlike Anara, are independent and uncharacteristically dismisses Anara's offer to pay for the assistance. Anara insists to keeping a strictly business arrangement. Zoe assembles the crew to explain the voluntary nature of the mission. Jane predictably objects to such a risky humanitarian endeavour. Book tries to appeal to his seemingly non-existent charitable side. Mal quickly gains his support by pointing out the women's uh, occupation to which Jane seems surprisingly friendly. Well, not that surprising, I suppose he is Jane after all. Yeah, I love the opening with Mal and that's his like pose, right? That's the pose we see, I think, mm. in the opening. It's like, that's Mal Reynolds. That's um, him looking his coolest with his pistol out. 
Mal saying the distress wouldn't happen to be taking pla- uh, place in someone's pants, would it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. Because, like, what else is Anara going to help with? Mm. <laughs> it's like and the whole uh, war cry scene is hilarious. Like, he's like, oh no, it was it was a right. Pr- oh, it's a it's a war cry. Honest. I love the close of that scene, like before it cuts to Zoe doing her whole kind of second in command thing. When you know, he's cleaning guns, and I was like, every petty crook knows the small guns go to the left where they can be hidden. And Mal just gives her this look, and it's like, okay, I hate that you're calling me petty, but I can't help but love how epic that zinger was. So I'm not going to say anything because I know you've got me. <laughs> so there's quite a few moments in this episode where like, you'll see, like, They'll have whole conversations just through a look. Uh, Nandy, in particular, has about four moments. Like, you just look at one of the characters and it's like, you already know exactly what everyone in that scene is thinking. But this yeah. is the first one and probably one of my favourites. Just it's like, oh, I love you, Anara, but man, you zing me good there. Fair play. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of moments in this one. It's that um, moments of silence that say a lot. I love the other moment with Anara and Mal where she's just like, I suppose you heard most of that. And Ewok said, it's like, well, yeah, but only because I was eavesdropping. <laughs> yeah. They're just so, like, open. But um, then he's genuinely, like, seems genuinely upset when she talks about it being a business arrangement because, you know, he's being mm. this big man, he's being a kind friend and saying that, you know, he'll do it for nothing because this is, like, an hour of need for someone that Anara knows and, you know, he doesn't need payment but she's insistent on them keeping a business-related uh, relationship, yeah. which hurts him to his core. Honestly, I think that probably hurt him more than being called petty during the whole yeah. gun arranging thing. Like her so kind of stoically dismissing his attempts to be the hero and be like, nope, you are just hiring me. This is just business. That cuts deep. And then obviously... Um, we get Jane being Jane. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, we don't know these people. We're going to have to help them. Shepard looks like they're... No, sorry, Mal, isn't it? He's like, they're whores. He's like, I'm in. Let's <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah, he's very, very Jane. But at the same time, he's like, he seems, you know, the woman friend he makes, he seems very respectful and like, you know, to a degree, do you know what I mean? Like, he's not mm. like our bad character in this episode that's very like, much. has yeah. zero respect. So moving on. Um, arriving at Nandy's ranch, the crew is warmly greeted by the proprietor and her employees. Jane eagerly takes advantage. Okay, I just said he doesn't like take advantage or whatever, but um. yeah, he's, he's given these. He, <laughs> he's, uh, he's... He, he collects the payment for the group, shall we say? <laughs> um, Jane eagerly takes advantage of their hospitality. Shepard shares an awkward moment with two women in need of spiritual counselling, who note that their last preacher, who came by, only read one prayer and then took payment from both of them. Simon goes to examine the Sunju. Um, Petaline with River in tow and Kaylee laments her lack of attention from the doctor. Mal and Zoe discuss the situation with Nandy who describes the poverty Burgess enforces on the locals so he can play cowboy. It's a very informative little scene that one. It's also hilarious. I love the whole, uh, like, oh they have boy whores. That whole, that line always cracks me up. I just love yeah. Kaylee. And I thought, I think this is a particularly great episode for the Kaylee wash relation. Like, their dynamic during this episode is fantastic. Yep, 100%. She is, um, yeah, she's so great. She's like, look, boy whores. And then she's asking um, Wash if he thinks that she's pretty. And he's like, 
oh god I can't really say that you, like you're pretty you know I'm married so he's like were I unwed I would take you in a manly fashion and he, <laughs> she's still like because I'm pretty and he's like because you're pretty <laughs> <laughs> yeah they have a really sweet um kind of uh little relationship in this episode mm. and I do like that throughout the series um every kind of every character gets to shine at some point and yeah. also every character kind of gets moments with each of the other characters um in a lot of shows kind of there's the few that kind of interact together but not with others so it's like mm. nice to see a, a whole cast that all kind of get to interact with each other differently very much so yeah like it feels like everyone has their moment to kind of show how they interact with everyone else on the crew which i mean like i don't know why so many people kind of skip over that and just have sort of cliques within the cast it always seems quite yeah. bizarre to me that we're meant to believe that this is a whole big group yet you only ever see kind of two or three little groups interacting and then there'll be like the one main guy who interacts with everyone mm. it just seems odd that in, in these kind of close proximity you you would always you would have some interaction with everyone else in the group yeah yeah no it's much more natural and just kind of like normal right indeed um i like how uncomfortable uh shepherd is he's like mm. just over making some food he's like i'm just gonna kind of remove myself as much from the situation as i can by standing over here and making a sandwich <laughs> <laughs> he's just like <laughs> yeah, I, I do quite like the, like he's he's very he's like he's making sure to distance himself then the moment he hears that there was a preacher there before who was clearly a bit of a scumbag he's like okay i have to stand up for my order and show these people what a true shepherd is and he just mm. like ministering to these wayward souls and you know give them actual guidance rather than just reading a prayer and taking advantage yeah good guy book comes book. back again <laughs> So a little time passes and it's evening. Mal and Anara take a trip into a town to allow Mal to size up their opponents. The odious Burgess only confirms Nandi's assessment. He also takes a second to show Mal his laser pistol with auto-targeting scope. Shortly after the Serenity couple departs, Burgess gets his own confirmation. He is the father of Petaline's baby. I really love this scene. Because it's just, like, it's such classic Mal like one of the best kind of Mal dunks we get in the whole show like it's like, oh she's a real beaut and he just mm. goes on for a good five minutes about how he loves this laser pistol he's like oh it's, everything about it is so good and all these details they're so great and he's like yeah it is a beauty and he goes I was talking about your wife though and then just walks away like oh Burn. suck it and yeah, burns worse than the is, laser it's another moment like in Shindig where we're getting to see Mal, who's like, you know, like it was quite a fancy thing happening at this theatre show or whatever. And Mal's mm. this criminal <laughs> that travels the galaxy, yet he seems to be the most upstanding man there. Yeah. Um, always, yeah. <laughs> uh, I like, yeah, the whole she's a beauty thing and the guy goes straight to his gun. And it's like, oh. And I, do you know what? I knew from watching it before that he's going to say, I was talking about your wife, yeah. but it was taking so long to get there. I was worried that it didn't happen. And I was like, <laughs> oh, was I wrong? And then it happened. I mean, you're right. Yeah, he goes on and on and on and on about this gun, doesn't he? So after we learn that it is um, his baby, uh, we return to Nandi's ranch and Mal announces that Serenity will depart immediately rather than face a monster who thinks he's right with God and who won't back down after only a single thrashing from some temporary help. 
Um, Nandi diplomatically acknowledges his need to protect his people, but Mal clarifies that he expects to evacuate Nandi's people as well. Nandi refuses to leave her hard-earned property and way of life, and Mal reluctantly accepts the challenge, admiring the streak of stubborn independence they share. Even Jane optimistically notes that they may catch Burgess off guard, given that he won't be expecting a fight. It's one of my favourite lines in this episode is in this scene. It's almost too back to back. Like he's like, "Oh, yeah, we, we're gonna, we've got to go. This is a, this is a losing fight. We're leaving." And she's like, "Yeah, that's fine. You know, I, I understand you. You, know, you have no desire to stay. It's all good." And she's like, "No, no, no. I mean, we're leaving. Everyone's leaving." And he's mm-hmm. like, "Whoa, and that's that's a pretty good line." But then when she kind of gives her that, that massive speech, it's, it's a great. She's like, "Yeah, I've, I've fought for this little bit of property. I'm going to keep it." And he just walks up to her and he's like, "Oh God, what's he going to say now?" Because lady. You are my kind of stupid. <laughs> Love it. Like, given what we know about Mal and how he he is one for kind of fighting the hard fight, even if it's a loser, just sticking it out to the end to sort of, you know, prove that you're independent. It's like, you, you could tell right from there that they were going to get on like a house on fire. Got on a little too well if you're an Ara. Yeah, I like just like, uh, there's a few little moments I like in this other than what you've just mentioned, obviously. Um I love that Jane is just like brushing the woman's hair because <laughs> yeah. again, it's like you know, I don't know. It shows that he's he's a little bit of a sensitive soul, bless him. Mm. Really, underneath all of that. <laughs> so, plan set in motion. The Serenity crew spend the next day and night building up the brothel's defenses and preparing a few surprises for the villains. Zoe and Wash have a tense conversation, and clearly not for the first time, but having a baby themselves in the near future, and Zoe puts her foot down on the subject. Nandy shows off a prized collection of guns to Mal, slipping in some subtle queries about Mal and Anira's relationship and observing that the two shipmates share a dislike of complications. She talks about the companion training she shared with Inara on the latter's homeworld, Sinon, and uh, she says that Inara was in the running to become house priestess of House Madrasa, when she suddenly left without explanation to travel among the Alliance worlds. Nandi had left before then, straining at the restrictions of companion life. She moved to this border world and assumed control of the whorehouse, implying a quite hostile takeover, and cleaning it up, making a better workplace for the girls. Mal and Nandi gradually moved towards sex, pausing only when Nandi says, I ain't her, which Mal deflects without directly acknowledging her implication of his feelings for Inara. It's one of the most loaded conversations in the whole show, probably. And that's even before we get to the guns. That whole scene of just the two of them on the bench, like, damn, (laughs) there there was more (laughs) subtext there than there was text. Like, there was a lot going on in that conversation. Mm. But, um, yeah, do you think if, again, again... Every, every episode if we'd gone on and yeah. got more seasons like obviously there was talk of Inara having the whole kind of being ill plot arc but yeah. like in this episode Nandi's really kind of laying it on thick that Inara was like the golden girl of House Madrasa and her, you know her path was set right for the top until one day she just suddenly decided to you know leave and become a companion on Firefly 
it's like do you, you reckon we ever would have had an expansion to that little conversation we would have found out why she actually left because i mean obviously we know that nandy left because she doesn't like uh music training and smashed some stuff up so I mean, that yeah it's fine she just wasn't set for a restricted life but it seems like inara was you know the queen of the show so why would she just up and leave one day yeah I think the way that she puts it as well um, with complica- uh, complications mm. makes made me think heavily that that storyline that was not to be um, was definitely, if it had gone on, would have come up because it really seemed like, like saying they were laying it down ready. Um, yeah, the way that they were speaking about complications. Because, yeah, why would she give up everything... Um, like surely she'd only give that up if she knows she's not going to make it there for some reason indeed but if she's that talented and it's really like her thing she would have made it there and that's what nand is telling us so Mm. yeah that complication we're thinking hmm perhaps yeah she was ill and that's why she kind of left to just maybe a because she was worried she wasn't gonna you know get to her goal so it's better to just kind of abandon ship and b because maybe she wanted to see a bit more of the world before True. You know, but um, maybe she yeah, wanted to live before she died, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, this whole scene kind of the way that she's talking about it does definitely make me think that. That's at least what I was definitely thinking whilst I was watching it. Actually, I hadn't thought of that at the time, but now you say it, that, that does actually make a huge amount of sense. And I, I very, very much could see them taking that sort of path with it. The other thing that upset me is. Um, Wash and Zoe talking about babies. I know. <laughs> okay. Sad so yeah. Um and I've read the the graphic novels uh now I'm thinking about how old I am and that it was probably more than like ten years ago that I read these graphic novels. Um I should read them again. But um Absolutely. Yeah, to so uh, I'm just gonna I'll just go away and cry. I don't want to ruin it for anyone that's like not read mm. any of them. But um yeah. It just makes me sad. And it's funny that that Wash is the one saying no. Like, I don't know. I feel like Wash would be all over it regardless of their situation. Yet he he's holding back because he doesn't want to bring a baby like onto a ship that's always in trouble. And it's mm. Zoe that is like, look, we want a baby. Let's just have a baby. Like, why does it matter? Like, the state of our lives kind of thing. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's... Oh, it's just sad. Oh, yeah. can you imagine like a baby on board and like they they're all looking after a baby? But oh, it would be <laughs> obviously not very practical. But no. Oh, the crew would be so good to a baby. They would. It would have been, that that kid would have been so badass. Taught kind of weapons <laughs> training by you know the the three badasses. Taught pilot <laughs> skills by Wash. Mechanical engineering by Kaylee. Medicine from freaking Simon. Would kid would have been a genius. <laughs> and also a you know, fearless fighter. Yeah. But I don't know why, but uh, Zoe's line in that scene, I ain't so scared of losing something, I ain't going to try to have it. That, yep. that always cuts deep, man. That is a great line. And I don't know why, just knowing everything that happens, it's like, man, that line never fails to land. So moving on for our emotional uh, distress. <laughs> <Thank you>. um, <laughs> meanwhile, uh, we see uh, Petalin approaches delivery. Babies, hello. <laughs> uh, with Simon and a nervous Inara attending. 
Both of them reveal that they've never delivered a baby before. River unhelpfully contributes some of her typical odd uh, pronouncements and behaviour. That evening, back in town, one of Nandy's girls, Sherry, uh, reports to Rance Burgess on Mal's preparations. After making an angry speech to his men, implying women's uh, ordained place as submissive servants to men, he makes Sherry kneel before him to perform a few more chores. Would it, be, would it be more accurate to say Neil to perform a job for him? But yeah, <laughs> what a dick. Uh, <laughs> I see what we did there. Um, <laughs> there's a moment in that scene, like obviously Shara goes up there and yeah, she's she's playing the Judas. She's like, oh yeah, I've got to, got to survive, got to do what I have to do. And yeah, she does that. And then he turns to his kind of actually a little bit too small for the sort of gravitas he's giving it, little crew. And he's giving this big speech, you know, all fire and brimstone and know your place. And the camera just kind of pans around and you see Shara, she's staring and she's like, oh man, I've messed up. Yeah. Uh, I, I have done the wrong thing. Instant regret. This guy is certifiable. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, like... Uh... I don't know, it seems like Nandy takes good care of these girls and they probably mm. earn, you know, a fair wage. Um, so she must think it's completely hopeless that they're going to come out of this. Um, because to uh, to betray them for this total douchebag, like, is just craziness. And, you, yeah, like you say, you see in her face the look of, oh, I've not gained anything here, like they don't respect me at all i'm just a whore still and you know that i might get a little bit of payment but like that she gained nothing from this apart from a little bit of money which is useless because like her life's gonna be thrown away (laughs) do you know what i mean like it's yeah she's like oh yeah i've done a bad one this is this is a poor decision betrayal never works out it does not just if she if she needed advice on that just ask jane betraying your crew never ends well doesn't matter how much money they're offering you it is never worth it to betray your people speaking of her people mal arises from nandy's bed and stumbles into inara in the hallway the following day as she as he as he tries to make excuses inara calmly acknowledges his sleeping with nandy even thanking him for comforting a friend and suggests that companions don't feel embarrassed about sex because of the lack of puritanism that mal exhibits on the subject but later once the doors are closed she breaks down and sobs quite deeply when she knows he can't see Ugh, oh so sad oh inara yeah oh inara that's what I'm <laughs> it's oh oh <laughs> Uh, what more can you say just oh Inara yeah that's all I can say is oh Inara (laughs) she's so distraught bless her because it's like it's one thing um, pretending you don't have feelings for someone and thinking that like they're not available to anyone else either Mm -hmm. Um, but when you like are faced with the fact that they've just like been with someone else you're like ah yeah yeah you're hit with that reality of if you don't make them yours, then you're not going to have them and you'll be upset when somebody else does. Mm. Um, yeah, it's... Oh, Anara, that's it. <laughs> so, uh, Mal reviews the state of their defences with his people and gives some last-minute advice to the worried women. Nandy looks in on Petaline, who Manara is coaching while Simon prepares for the delivery. The two companions share a look and Nandy realises that Anara is much more attached to Mal than she let on. 
When Andy starts to discuss this with Mal, they are interrupted by imminent violence from Burgess's approaching forces. Burgess's men have gained prior access to Serenity and ambush Wash and Kaylee as they board. Wash and Kaylee have their hands full, avoiding fire, and cannot answer Mal's call for air cover. Ah, great scene. I just, I just love how like you know she walks in, sees Inara, instantly realizes like what's like she can just see the tiny little you know the tiny little smudges of makeup and the slight redness. She's like that woman has been crying instantly <laughs> realizes it all goes to talk to Mal she's like you lied he's like no I didn't it's about her feelings and he's just like so what Inform- information not found does not compute what are you talking about like, how can he be so clueless well he's <sighs> like he, he honestly is isn't he he has no idea he's so honest when she's like you know you didn't tell me about her feelings and he's like what, what? like what are you talking about um, but I guess like the way I don't know on the one hand I feel like they have really good interactions together and you know are very kind of open and just get along and have this shared respect for each other but on the other hand I think more so for her she is always shooting him down like mm. like in this episode you know um, like would you take my arm and she's like if you wash it first <laughs> you know she's she's full of the like even more so than him sometimes because for him really is his only um, like put down of her is what she does for a prof- profession there's no mm. like um, I don't think he has anything else bad to say about her um, quite the opposite yeah he actually but she actually gives quite a lot of quips towards him um and I don't know, like in his head, is he genuinely like, that's never going to happen. Like she's never going to, especially in this episode with like the earlier remark about keeping everything professional and, <laughs> you know, them not even yeah. having like a friendship, let alone a, a romantic relationship. So the thought of her having the same kind of feelings that he has is kind of absurd to him, I think, mm. like honestly. Absolutely, and only, yeah. Yeah, only towards the end of this episode is he like, really thinking and uh, thinking about his feelings properly but, start um, to believe um other than all of that going on uh we get the nice line from wash where he's like well we all know i'm the funny one <laughs> and it's like yes wash yes wash we do it's, it's you true. are the funny one so getting into the action now Oh, yes. Uh, the battle begins with the villains. I like that. The villains. <laughs> <laughs> the battle begins with the villains using automatic and laser weapons on the ranch house and its occupants. Jane easily takes out the machine gunner and Book works a Kaylee rigged fire hose to put out fires caused by the laser gun. Wash lures the invaders back on Serenity into the rear hallway and Kaylee locks them inside. However, the two shipmates belatedly realise they've locked themselves into their opposite rooms, with pilot Wash in the engine room and engineer carelessly, pointlessly able to reach the bridge. Uh, that scene does make me laugh. And he kind of closes the door, like, yeah, we're all, we're all locked, locked in here. And he just looks around like, oh, <laughs> balls, we've totally done uh... this the wrong way around. What the hell am I going to do back here? Yeah, it was um, like really good teamwork on their part. Um, they work really well together. So back over to uh, babies. Uh, as Petaline gives birth, the traitorous Sherry lets Burgess inside. What a traitor. Um, he quickly storms into the delivery room, taking the newborn boy. Nandy overhears Petaline's cry of despair and heads off uh, the departing Burgess. Inara sneaks up behind him and puts a knife to his throat, allowing one of Nandy's girls to recover the child. 
Burgess gets the drop in Anara, shoots Nandi and escapes. Mal arrives too late to save Nandi. He and Anara agree for a moment over the fallen woman, then have a silent conversation of looks that uh, impel the rage-filled ship captain to pursue the kidnapper and murderer. It's it's unfortunate that um that she died. Mm. Like I don't think it would have damaged the episode too much if she didn't. But like what uh, I'm trying to think like what we really gain other than the whole like you know I'm glad she spent her last night with you Mao and 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 stuff like that. And I, I I don't know. I don't think they would have had a continuing relationship or would it have like hung over. Do you know what I mean? Like for yeah, that's, Anara, that's would- the thing. I think if it had been any other, well, if it had been Jane, it would have been fine. But because it was Mal that hooked up with her, he's not the one night stand guy. Like that's that's not who he is. He would have either felt compelled to kind of like keep in contact with her or like bring her with or something. Probably wouldn't have happened. But like, I don't think he would have been able to just be like, "All right, that's a fun night. Peace out. I'll talk to you again <laughs> next time someone else tries to take over your store." So I think they they, ha- they had to kind of bookend that relationship, but it is it's kind of borderline fridging, and it's not. I don't think it's strictly necessary, but I think there was just a way to ensure that Mal doesn't have that spectre kind of looming over him. But it does lead to a great line. I think possibly one of, if not Anara's best line. Like Bird just grabs the kid. And he's leaving. He's like, oh, that's my blood. And then she just, like, the knife hooks around, just appears behind him. Like, no, this is your blood, drawing a knife across his thrones. And if you don't want to see more than you can spare, I suggest you give that baby up. Oh. Yeah. It's nice to see her um, her badass side. Hmm. And it is kind of like, I know earlier in the episode, she's like, you know, these aren't companions like me. These are whores. But, you know, it's like still this sense of camaraderie because... Um, with Nandy especially obviously because they train together so it's like mm-hmm. you know don't mess with my girls man just you know yeah. I'll slit your throat um, when he going to a slightly um, less serious note when he steps out of the um, of the delivery room and Nandy comes up on him with a gun he turns very suddenly and the baby that he's holding is like very clearly a fake baby. Yeah. But they don't even hide it. Like the face is right there and it's just this plastic baby like, oh. Yeah, they clearly blew their whole prop budget on Burgess's ridiculous gun and then just like borrowed one of the production workers' kids' dolls to use as the baby for that one scene. The um the very moment after that, it's it's a real baby, but yeah, I couldn't help. I was like, oh, wow, that's a plastic baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got the emotional um, death, which, uh, mm. yeah, brought a real downer. But- a little bit. Well, I have to wonder, mm. like, in literally every other sort of property that I've seen, and even probably in this show, anyone getting hit in, like, that area... There's a good probably sixty to eighty percent chance someone will survive if hit in like the chest. There, it just, it seems a bit like I don't know. It's, it's, it feels a it just kind of ties in with what we're saying. Like it does just feel like they kind of wanted to fridge her, but they they couldn't have it sort of you know explode into her brain pan or, or like hit her in the heart. So they have it kind of hit, she's get hit in the chest and falls down. Like, oh yeah, nope, sorry. Even though this probably missed all my vital organs, I'm now dead because. Lasers. Yeah, 
I have to agree, it hits quite low down on her chest, and I yeah. don't know if that would have been like totally straight away dead. But they make a big deal over this like high powered laser and everything. <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose. But I thought you'd have a better chance getting hit with a laser gun because it's like cauterizing the edges, right? So you're not going to yeah. bleed out. Um, yeah. Like a lightsaber or something. <laughs> I was just thinking but, that exact um, thing. Yeah. <laughs> lightsabers are like, uh, I mean, they're awesome, obviously. Mm. But in terms of injuring someone, like if you cut an arm off, that's why they're all fine. They lose limbs left, right and center, but yeah. it, it, like, they ain't going to bleed out because it just burns it. Um, Except that one guy in A New Hope because they hadn't decided <laughs> that lightsabers cauterize wounds by that point. <laughs> by that point, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, I don't know. And then there's the whole, with the whole heart of gold thing, it's kind of like, would it have made more sense for her to get very clearly shot straight in the heart? That was my thinking right. too. Yeah. Um, and then when it, because it's called heart of gold, I always am very drawn to the, the, the very gold gun that she has as well. It's so gold. It is. <laughs> it's it like is the flashiest gun. Um, Big pimpin. Yeah. Intent on getting vengeance mal chases and captures burgess drags him back to the ranch settling the unrepentant and unbowed man on his knees before petaline and their baby she cheerfully introduces baby joan to his father then shoots him in the head execution style avenging nandy petaline tells the remaining thugs to go home and orders the treacherous shari to accompany them the girls and the crew have a funeral for nandy and some of the other deceased during which one of the girls lucy played by Australian singer Angie Hart, sings Amazing Grace. Serenity then departs. She killed him good. She did. <laughs> she, um, and even Mal looked a bit kind of like, I think he's still in shock because Nandy died, but, and the whole situation, but um, even he looks a little shocked that this, you know, newborn mother holding her baby has just come out and like killed this guy. But say, say hello to your daddy. Say goodbye to your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, she's had it. She's been for enough, like, you know, pregnant lady getting traumatized by some douche wad and now she's going to kill him. I do think in the episode as a whole, it's really funny. Like, at the beginning, you see this cowboy looking fella, because this is very Western, isn't it, this episode? Mm, very. Um, you know, it's basically 100% Western with, like, you know, and seeing him then jump into this like floating car and go off it's like so weird you're like oh yeah i remember now this is set in space and <laughs> there's like floating cars and stuff um and then at the end when they're coming up on the house and you've got the hovercraft with the horses it's all yeah it's all very strange and even the bit like when mal was like what uh calling wash and and, and uh kaylee and he's like where's my spaceship and you're like oh yeah it's a spaceship it feels weird them calling it a spaceship because usually they just refer it to it as a ship yeah um or a boat um so yeah and it just kind of brings you back to this thing or on an episode like this you're like oh yeah i remember we're in space and it's like sci-fi <laughs> yeah this, this is a sci-fi western but this episode is very much yeah. western very little it's sci-fi very western yeah but i do like because obviously joss doesn't miss a trick he saw the points of uh like he, he seeds that conversation quite early on from nandy where he's talking like how basically burgess could if he so chose like make a build a proper town, you know, give everyone fancy tech. But he wants to keep playing cowboy, so he keeps everyone else as kind of low-tech as possible while simultaneously getting, like, hovercrafts and laser guns for himself. It's like, he wants to play Red Dead Redemption, but use cheat codes, so he has, like, modern-day gear. It's just, it's all, it's all very, very bizarre. And it just, it really helps build up 
a picture of Burgess's character as an absolute toolbag, an unrepentant toolbag. Like, nothing he does is for the good of anyone but Rance Burgess. Uh, back on the ship, Anara reiterates her gratitude that Mal could comfort Nandi on what turned out to be her last night, but Mal can only regret his failure to save her. As Mal tries to breach the subject of his and Anara's unacknowledged feelings towards each other, Anara muses about how Nandi created a family and how that kind of shared strength and love makes people never want to break away. She then shocks Mal by announcing that she will be leaving Serenity. Ah, oh, it's like, what a moment this end bit is. Because yeah. you're like, oh, they're finally going to talk about their feelings yep. and she's going to tell him how she feels because he's being honest about his feelings. She's going to tell him that she loves him and no, she's leaving. What? What just happened? And the way that she says it as well, she's just very straight. I'm leaving. You see how upset she is, but she just walks straight away like to not let a conversation start because that will probably be like way too much for her to handle. Yeah. Um, so she's just, yeah, and we're all distraught and we're crying now. We are. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the kind of the worst part, the hardest part of that scene for me is pretty much 90% of the scene is just a tight camera shot on Anara's face. And Marina, 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 Marina. Marina Bakarin has the most perfect eyes in the world. They are amazing. And I just, whenever I always mm. have to watch that scene about two or three times, because I'll get halfway through the scene and I'll just be like, man, her eyes are beautiful. And I just forget <laughs> to actually pay attention to the scene. And then she says, I'm yeah. leaving. And it's like, ah, why did he set me up just to hurt me like that? I hate you. <laughs> it's, it's just horrible. Because the way that she's speaking, you're like, he's thinking, oh, she loves being part of this crew and mm. because she's such a part of this family, she will never leave, right? That's what he's thinking. Exactly. She will never She will never want to leave. That's what she's saying. And it turns out it's the opposite. She, I think, is worried that she's becoming too engrossed in this family, that she mm. won't want to leave. So she has to cut the cord now and leave because if that storyline's true, she doesn't want... Um, I don't know. She doesn't want to like put them through any pain and stuff that yeah. she's going through, um, and she doesn't want to form those attachments, which makes sense for uh, like her profession, right? There's no attachments, yeah, exactly. Like she said about the whole sex thing. There's no. It doesn't. It, it, it's just sex. It doesn't mean anything. It happens and then you move on. Like it, she, these attachments, forming relationships with this family it's just going to make everything harder, right? And she doesn't want to hurt anyone. So she's just going to leave. And that's really, really upsetting. Yeah. Also worth noting, this is the second episode in a row to wrap up with a funeral, which is rather sad because given, you know, it's the last three episodes. It's, yep. It's all it's all very, uh, quite symbolic. Like lots of... yeah. Lots of kind of things coming to an end. Like we have funerals, we have Anara leaving, it's just everything is falling apart, everyone is dying. Because usually a lot of the earlier episodes end on like a funny line or, mm. you know, and th this episode is just, she says that and it ends and you're like, oh, okay. Um, like having to wait a week or whatever for the next episode would have been hell. Yeah, I wouldn't have to do it. However, what was the airing order? Um, 
this was somewhere in the middle, I believe. Yeah, which is which yeah. is silly because then there's like three or four episodes with Anara still in, and it's like <laughs> clearly she <laughs> did didn't it? leave. Oh wait, yes she did, because then the film picks up and she's left. Yep, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> silly, silly people. Yeah, so it's Heart of Gold, then Trash, and then the message. So Heart of Gold, I'm leaving. Trash, I'm back and more <laughs> invested in you know what you're doing than ever and then the message which she's sort of in but not kind of particularly but like having trash which really feels like the episode where she starts to kind of like i think the kind of the arc that starts in trash where she's becoming more kind of tied in to the stuff that like kind of the, the criminal element shall we say of serenity which is the impetus for her leaving because then in heart of gold she's like i'm being dragged into their world of capers and nonsense and i don't want to do i don't want to be part of that like having that after like having the beginning of that journey aired after the end of the journey just like how can someone whose job it is to schedule television look at that and think yep that's the way these episodes are supposed to air and what is wrong yep. with these people? But um, thinking about this episode, just on its own kind of thing, um, it's a good episode. It's like like we're saying about the Western thing. It's quite a nice, just kind of like on its own episode. But we get really good development with Mao and Anara. Mm. You know, a little bit of action. Um, a whole lot of heart. And also that this was this was definitely one of the better episodes for kind of conversations without words. The the two best ones for me, both Nandy, is like a a conversation in four silence, like four lines of text and about fifty of subtext. The first one, they arrive at the Heart of Gold. You know, Mal walks in, any friend of Anara's is a strictly business like acquaintance of mine. And Nandy just gives them this look like Okay, I know exactly what's happening here. I'm, this dance you're doing, I already see it. I already know exactly what you're doing. Stop it. And then it goes on, kind of, you know, th- events transpire. Yeah, they're, they're going out to meet Burgess. Anara, will you stoop to being on my arm? Will you wash it first? And Nanny just gives them this look like, seriously, we have a priest. We can marry you right now. You're clearly married. Can we just make this official? The worst part of all this is we have all these scenes, like this, this whole silent story going on behind the scenes. It's so clear they're together. Then Mal does what Mal does best and screws it all up, hooks up with Nandy. Although, to be fair, she was obviously the the instigator in that little scene. Anara is, is clearly upset by it. You're like, see, this is this is the all is lost moments where you have your cry and you realize what you kind of you know, Mal realizes what he's kind of risking by not telling you everything and then they're on the, the gangplank at the end and they're talking and she's giving this impassioned speech about how you know when there's like when there's a group and it's led by someone with such heart and power and it's impossible to not be kind of drawn into their orbit and say like, yes this is the part where they tell each other this is this is the part where the world they won't they is finally answered and then she fracking leaves what are you doing to us, Joss? How can you spend 40 goddamn minutes building up to the obvious and then they kiss conclusion? And then she leaves. You're just like, why? Don't do that to us. It's mean. Just give us what we want, damn it. But do you know what, though? Like, I think I say it a lot. I'm not a fan of, like, will they, won't they type thing. 
And with Anara and Mal, I've never been too bothered by it because I don't, it doesn't entirely bother me if, you know, they stayed living on that ship forever and have this little banter and kind of never end up together. Even because you know that they love each other, yeah. right? It's not like um, it's not like one person chasing the other, and the other eventually gives in. There's never that because you know that they both share these feelings. Um, in a lot of shows, it's like yeah, like say one person's like really in love with the other one, and eventually they wear them down, and then they get married, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Whereas for these guys, like if they had kissed in that moment, everyone would have been like, oh yay, they're together. And also, I think carrying on from that, I don't think it would have ruined their dynamic on the Not ship. Not at all. Because no. they would have remained with the exact same relationship, mm. only he might have spent the night in her bunk, you know. <laughs> I'll be you in know, your bunk. Like, yeah. I'll be in your bunk. Yeah. Um, but also, I didn't think about this, but obviously for her, admitting, admitting feelings for him complicates it. I think I mentioned it last episode, actually. Because of her profession... And would giving up her profession, because I don't think he'd want to be in a relationship with her while she's servicing people, right? No, I think while Mal is definitely quite kind of, you know, he, like he's he's fine with her, like he jokes about it, but he is generally okay with what she does. I don't mm. think he would be okay with her continuing to do what she does while being with him. Yeah, so Which, then it would yeah. become a case of, would admitting her feelings for him and forming a relationship mean giving up being a companion, which really is like 90% of who she is, mm. if that's how she views it kind of thing. Um, so if she can't have both and she can't figure out what to do, is it easier for her to just leave, go back to being a companion at the um, at House Madrasa or whatever and, and, and follow that life until, you know possibly her early demise or you know whatever the future would have held but um yeah overall i enjoyed this episode it was yeah like we, you know, we've, we've been quite mean in the past about episodes like kind of trash and aerial episodes that don't really seem to hold a huge amount and this episode could quite easily be kind of put in that group but there's just something there's such great character development in this episode there's such great like there's so many great one-liners in this episode it's yep. kind of hard not to love it yeah and i was going into it as well thinking oh i'm watching heart of gold like it wasn't one that i was sitting excited to watch but i've come <laughs> mm. out of it actually like oh i really enjoyed that um as an episode because like i say there's certain episodes you always kind of go back and you can just rewatch that one yeah. episode and it's great. Um, and this never generally used to be one of them, but um, on watching it again, I was like, that was actually a pretty good episode. Yeah, it's just it's just solidly done, Joss. Kind of it's great Joss writing, like lots of quips, decent action, and then like some surprisingly good character developments and kind of emotive scenes. It's like, what more could you really ask for? Mm. Yep. And um, yeah, that's our penultimate episode. So yeah, wow, one 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 more to go in the movie. Crazy. I guess at this point, I'll uh, thank our listeners. Thank you for joining us. Um, we hope you enjoyed our discussion about how uh, upset we were at several points during this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know if you feel the same. <laughs> um, and you can do that by sending us your letters uh, and joining the discussion. 
You can send any letters or audio bits to um, fireflybits at gmail.com. And join us next time for the final episode of Firefly, Objects in Space. Serenity encounters Jubal Early, a ruthless bounty hunter and lion, who will stop at nothing to retrieve River. But River, feeling unwelcome on the ship, takes a novel approach to escaping the long arm of the Alliance. Oh, the last episode. Oh, no. <laughs> but, um, sad times. But it's a good one. And um, it is, yeah. I'm looking forward to watching it again. So yeah, thanks again for listening, everyone. And we will see you next time on Firefly Back in the Skies. Bye. Mm-hmm.